Good evening, fans. Tim Kittrow here, the voice of NBA Jam. And you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by CodeWritePlay.com. Boom shakalaka. My mom gave birth in 1985. I was within a Pac-Man ghost, barely alive. So, uh, okay, uh, Alex, thanks for jumping on a call. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Why don't we start by having you sort of introduce yourself? Sure thing. So I'm Alex Rushdie. I'm the CEO and creative director at 13AM Games, which is an independent uh, video game developer based out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Awesome. Very cool. And you are uh, sort of riding high on the the somewhat recent release of Dawn of the Monsters, yeah? Yeah, yeah. We released it uh, back in March on uh, just about every platform we could put it on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Super wide release. And that's something you guys uh, seem like you've been able to do with your games pretty much, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we want as many people as possible to to pick them up. But Dawn was the first time where we released it on all these platforms day one, which was pretty exciting. Got it. Very cool. So I got a lot of questions. Uh, the studio story sounds interesting to me. The games are all cool, popular. They've all done, it seems like they've all done very well. So um, why don't we start by uh, give listeners an idea what the team at 13 AM games kind of looks like. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, as with any um, game studio, especially a small one, we all wear a lot of different hats. Mm-hmm. So we've got uh, a couple of, designers um we've got a bunch of artists we've got some programmers and we have a producer but uh, almost no one does just that like for example we have uh um, the person who actually you know i guess he's mostly full-time a writer but used to be on the tech team uh also writes and sometimes does design i sometimes do design sometimes i'll do art um our our artists actually artists tend to stick to art um but like our producer also does like audio implementation for our games. Um, it's a pretty uh, ragtag crew uh, who does whatever needs to be done um, when it needs to be done. But yeah, we're about 10 people right now. Nice. Um, and the biggest we've ever been is, I think the biggest we've ever been is 13, which is nice for 13 AM games. Um, I was wondering if there was a connection there and, uh, but uh, that's, that seems like a good sized team for, uh, the the kind of projects you guys are tackling. And mm-hmm. I read somewhere that the studio kind of started from like a graduating class from a game design program. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So uh, back in what would that have been 2013, I moved to Toronto to study game design, a postgraduate game design at George Brown college. And uh, it was a pretty unique program because Essentially, our our teachers thought it would be a good idea to teach us really practical, you know, exercises as if we were a studio. So they asked us to come up with a studio while we were in the program uh, and start coming up with ideas for games, jamming game ideas, doing all sorts of stuff. And we all liked working together. And uh, we were at a game jam and we split into two two teams at the game jam. And one of us made a game called Miss Cthulhu, which was actually our first released game. It was on iOS and Android a long time ago. Uh, and, um, and the other team worked on a very early prototype of Rumbo. 
So we kept working on Rumble because we really liked it. And it ended up winning Best Design at Level Up, which was a student showcase for, for uh, video game design. And from there, we kind of looked around and realized, hey, maybe we've got something here. Maybe we should finish this. Uh, someone actually, a guy named, named Mark Rabo, who'd been working in the industry, uh, kind of as like an agent and, and helping us, you know, upstart companies get going. He talked to us and was like, yeah, I think you guys should really release this. You should apply for government funds, get it done. Um, then we showed it to Nintendo. Nintendo loved it. And they were like, yeah, you guys really do need to finish this. Come down to California, show it off at Indiecade. Um, we'll get you dev kits and everything. This is back in the Wii U days. So, you know, Wii U dev kits and stuff. And basically George Brown was like, Hey, we'll give you studio space, you know, an office space for a year. We took advantage of that and we built and released Rumbo, you know, in that time. So there's a lot of sweat equity, a lot of sleepless nights, but uh, we got it done. And, and our expectation was, Hey, let's incorporate as a company release Rumbo. And then we'll leave with something on our resumes uh, but it made enough money that we could just keep making games. And that's where we are today. Yeah. Runbo crushed it. And <laughs> that's gotta be fantastic for a first, uh, big project, uh, with, with, you know, fellow graduates and stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty lucky. Um, and it wasn't like, you know, Rumbo wasn't a success, like say shovel Knight or cuphead where we're, you know, rolling around in Lamborghinis or whatever, but well, nothing is. It, yeah. It was, yeah. No, very few things are, but, but it was enough to, to, to keep us going if we were smart about it. And, you know, we all had to kind of learn to build the ship as we were flying it. <laughs> um, but it gave us that cushion to, to make a lot of mistakes, which was nice. And what fortuitous timing that, uh, that was about the time Nintendo was kind of reaching out and going like, let's strengthen the, the indie program. Right. I mean, that's, that's not bad. Yeah, we were among the first. I mean, I know they've retired this term because it's not part of their grant strategy or whatever, but we were among the first Nindies, the Nindies when they were using yeah. that term. Yeah, they were calling them Nintendo indie developers. Yeah. And basically all the all the interviews I've read about, you know, working with Nintendo at that time as an indie, like people enjoyed it. Like people said it was a good experience and that they they treated everybody pretty well. And it sounds like they did pretty well by you guys, too, right? Yeah, they were, I mean, they were instrumental. You know, I don't think we'd be here today if it wasn't for Nintendo. Um, and, and especially in those days, it was such a pretty tight-knit team, not only of people at Nintendo, but a tight-knit team of developers. Like, all the Nindies knew each other. That's why we put all the Nindies we could into Rumbo, was because we were all just kind of like friends figuring this out as, as we went along. Uh, it was a very different landscape back in 2013, 2014. And that was a cool thing. For, sorry for uh for anybody who didn't know about that runbo incorporated a bunch of popular indie characters in in the game right yeah yeah we had i think there was 19 characters wow more than i yeah. thought yeah <laughs> so that i mean that's cool and that what a what a nice way to uh make friends around the around the industry um is this is this something you always thought you were going to do i mean was this what you were aiming for as a career not at all actually i uh so I, after high school, I studied visual art and design and my focus was on, I wanted to get into filmmaking and okay. I wanted to be making like, I've always loved special effects and I always loved special effects, fantasy films and things like that. So I wanted to get into that type of movie making. Um, 
But after I finished my program, I started working as just like a videographer for hire. And I honestly wasn't digging the work that much. And I wasn't finding, I couldn't figure out like, how do I actually get into this industry? I lived up in Northern Alberta Hmm. and all the special effects people are in like LA. (laughs) Um, And I'd kind of just given up hope. I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't think this is a reasonable thing. You know, you basically have to just have friends with tons of money. And um, I don't know if if that was going to be thing for me. So I started reconsidering. I took a gap year. I went and volunteered uh, overseas in the Czech Republic for a while. And I was like, well, I, I always loved video games. And I, I applied to either go back to film school or to uh, go to game design school. And I said, whoever accepts is where I go. It's what I'll do. And game design accepted. I moved to Toronto and rest history. Pretty, pretty uh, fortunate. Uh, now, of course, that takes hard work no matter what. And I'm, I'm sure your story is no different there. But it also takes a, a little bit of good fortune. It sounds like it's been mm. in place when you needed it, right? Definitely. Luck is a, is a big part of it. Right, right place, right time. You know, um, like my story of entering the industry would be totally different from if someone was trying to enter it today. And it, it's nice that your school took that approach. Like, I don't hear that a lot. And it sounds like it, it went fantastically. Like, I went to a tech school and got out around 05. And that, I mean, there was no focus like that. It wasn't specifically game design, but it was software. Yeah. And even then, they weren't like, why don't you guys form some teams, make something, try to earn some money if it goes well or, or something like that. That's great. Yeah, it's, it's you know, another another person we have to, or another organization we have to thank for our existence was, yeah, I mean, George Brown putting their faith in us and saying, Hey, you know, go for it. And on top of that was also, you know, the Ontario government has funding programs for game companies that we were able to take advantage of uh, and use. So, you know, all these different elements from all over, we were kind of able to bring together like, okay, we got studio space here. We got, you know, Nintendo's going to help us market the game. We've got funding from the Ontario government. We've got this, that, and whatever, uh, pulled it together and we're able to, you know, give birth to 13 AM games. Yeah. That that's the other side is in the last probably two years now, I've spoken with a lot of developers who I didn't even necessarily know were Canadian and they've taken advantage of programs like that and done great things like Canada seems to get it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a valuable industry. I mean, especially during COVID. Yeah. So many people were losing jobs and they were like, well, how do we support industries? And it's like, well, game development. I mean, I'm not going to say that there weren't impacts, but we were able to transition from in an office to totally remote uh, relatively painlessly because all our work is already on networks. It's already on computers. So it was like, it's, I think that there are people um, in the government and throughout different industries in Canada that are starting to recognize the value and the potential in the games industry and, and starting to do something about it. Yeah, outstanding. I, I love hearing that. And it's it really is great. Like people who were, you know, all of us for a while were effectively stranded. And it's like, can we find something to do or not? And uh, the stories I've, I've heard about that people going like, well, we can, at least we've got our keyboards, we've got our screens and let's, let's get to work. That's been fantastic. Yeah. So uh, 
Um, I'm curious. So, I mean, you guys have, have done Runbow, Double Cross, and now uh, Dawn of the Monsters all in the last handful of years. Um, I'm sure it feels like a, a fast time, but you guys have been at it for a while now. So has your role as sort of broad as it is on some days, has it changed across that time or has it always been kind of what you're, what you're doing now? Uh, it's, it's, it's definitely changed over time. I, uh, I guess on Rumbo, I was, um, a, a bit more low level designer. Um, I, I did co-direct it, but I, I was also a creative director or whatever we call it. I don't remember, but, um, I did a lot more design on Rumbo and as the years have gone on and the games have gotten, um, bigger, I've done less design and focused more explicitly on, on, uh, direction and, and management and that kind of stuff. I even did in Rumbo. I did a lot of like art for the game too. Um, mm-hmm. nowadays I don't do, I don't do much art unless I like specifically want to and like ask, Oh, can I please draw this <laughs> or whatever? Uh, so that part's definitely changed. And then also, you know, for the first, I don't know, year of the company, we didn't have a CEO. We didn't have an executive team. Uh, and then I was kind of asked to to step into that role in, I, I want to say 2015 or, or 2016, um, which I had no experience in. And so I had to kind of figure that out sure. as I went along. Uh, so that's kind of how it's changed over the years. Well, certainly more responsibility. Uh, although I'm sure that that urge to get in and occasionally do some of that creative work probably doesn't go away, does it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's always there. Yeah. Uh, because, and I've looked through a little bit of your, uh, I've, I've seen some tweets. I've looked a little bit through your blog and stuff. And, and you strike me as a person who still enjoys being a fan of the stuff that kind of got you into this. I mean, am I, am I off base here? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I know some, I'm, I'm sure there's some people who, once they start making video games, they, they, you know, can't stand playing them, but, uh, I still love playing video games. Uh, I feel like I have even more appreciation for, for all kinds of media and entertainment now that I'm in the entertainment industry. Um, things that may not be impressive to other people are now just like so impressive to me when I see them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's exact. That's exactly right. I talk to a lot of people and some of them are like, I'm so slammed with everything. I don't get to play the, the new games. I don't get to watch the stuff I used to like watching when I was a kid. And, uh, that's always very sad. Honestly, it's, it's not like, well, I get it. You know, it's just, that's what the art is like. Wow. I'm sorry to hear that. You know? Yeah. I I will say though, over the years, because I also get stressed for, for crunched for time in terms of how much time I get to play games or watch movies or whatever. And I also try to keep up other hobbies and stay healthy. But uh, I guess I found over the years, my, um, I wouldn't say my tastes have narrowed, but I guess I've more quickly figured out what I do and don't like or what I will and won't like. Like, you know, years ago, if I bought a game and I wasn't that hot on it, I'd probably still play it all the way to the end. (laughs) Nowadays, if I start playing a game and I'm not driving with it in like 30 minutes, I'm like, nah, I'm out. I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Or if I'm like watching a TV show and, you know, it's not grabbing my interest or exciting me pretty quickly. I'm like, I have, I have other things I can, I can, I can watch. Um, so I've definitely become a little more impatient with that kind of stuff where I'll stick to what I know I'll like, and then I'll branch out every now and then. And hopefully, hopefully I enjoy it. 
I'm, I'm that way too. And I don't know if it's a product of being a certain level of busy, you know, as a grown up mm. and increasing responsibilities, or if it's just a product of like the game pass and Netflix age, you know, it's like mm. there's, first of all, I'll, I'll waste a whole evening just scrolling through. Like, what am I going to spend 20 minutes on before I have to go to sleep now? Uh, yeah. and yeah, the same thing. If I get into it and it does not grab me, I'm pretty notorious at this point for going like, I'm just going to move on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. And, and I, I also wonder if it's, as we, as we get older, I mean, we kind of are more quickly able to figure out our tastes, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. I, I, th- I think, think there's a positive element. It, yeah. We're getting to know ourselves a little better. <laughs> yeah. We're like, you know, I like five, seven years ago, maybe I'd give that a shot, but now I, I know it's probably not my cup of tea. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm curious about this part because we don't hear from a lot of folks who do uh, creative direction necessarily. And it's interesting because if you're a game developer at all, if you got into it, even if you're an artist and you worked on a game jam and stuff, you've got a pretty good sense of what it's like to have a vision for a game. And, but the interesting part to me is as you have more of a team and you're kind of the steward for that vision for a group of people, I mean, like, what are the challenges there? Is that hard to get used to? Definitely is. Um, there can be a lot of challenges with, uh, with being creative director. I mean, I'd say that the challenge you want is probably that people are, you know, uh, so excited or passionate about what you're working on that they're willing to, to, you know, challenge you on decisions because they're that invested in it. That's, that's a good problem to have, I think. Hmm. Um, but I think that really the, the biggest challenge in managing a creative vision for a game is, um, the amount of management involved, mm-hmm. the amount of work involved in just managing different teams, keeping everyone on the same page, keeping communication open. Uh, that's, that's a ton of work in, in and of itself. It's, you know, like when, anytime someone asks me, especially on Down the Monsters, like, what does your day look like? I'm like, well, on most days, First off, every day is different, right. but the one constant is most days it's like wall-to-wall meetings. <laughs> um, that's 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 what being a creative director ends up being. Is it's just meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting, and then when I'm not meeting, it's writing documents or making diagrams or that kind of stuff. So uh, being prepared for that is is important, and being good at talking to people is yeah. uh, is necessary for sure. Yeah. Is it tough to balance sort of the vision that you maintain and kind of set out to realize when I I know you work with, you know, a close knit group, a creative bunch of people. I mean, do things kind of shift and is it hard to decide like, oh, a new idea popped up? Are we going to incorporate that? Like somebody thought of a better way to do something. I mean, what's what's that balance like? Is it a moving target? Sometimes it really can be so. One thing that I, one of the many things that I learned when I was in visual art and design is when you're making a piece of art, well, I I guess it's, it's what I consider the difference between art and illustration. And so when you're doing an illustration, it's, you have a vision of something in your head. Okay. I'm picturing perfect, I don't know, apple, and then you draw it and it is exactly like you envisioned, right? Got it in your head, got on paper, 
It's perfect. To me, that's illustration. That's not, you know, quote unquote art. Art is when you're willing to, to have a dialogue with the piece that you're making. So maybe, maybe you notice something or oh, the pencil moves in a weird way. And, oh, that looks kind of interesting. That's not what I, that's not what I intended. That's not what I imagined or planned. But if I go with that, with that brush stroke that's different or that color that's different, maybe this can be better than what I imagined. Maybe this can have a little bit of a dialogue. So I think that's really important to have in game design as well. Whether it's you're playing the game and you realize something is or isn't fun and you need to change it, or someone else has a great idea and you know you have to incorporate it. Um, where that becomes a challenge, of course, is like time and budget and uh mm. That's where Steph, our producer, will uh, you know tap me on the shoulder and be like, "I don't think uh, we have the money to do this. You really got to rein it in." So I, I try to be cognizant of that as well. That's kind of the only limiting factor. If we had loads more money and time, I would just take every cool idea and keep rebuilding the game until it was the ultimate uh, game. But I think that's part of the fun. I think that's part of the joy of any creative endeavor is having a dialogue with what you're making. And it's clear from, uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, launch is not the end of the road for at least the first couple of games because you guys were still working on like, how can we get it in the hands of more players on more platforms and stuff? So, uh, is, is that mindset still kind of in place or are you guys starting to think of the future a little earlier? I mean, how's it go? Yeah. I mean, launch is, especially nowadays, launch is not the end of a, of a game. I mean, you can put out a game. And of course you can always add content to it. And, you know, we, we are planning to add some content to John of the Monsters. Um, but there's also keeping the game relevant in people's minds and keeping the intellectual property relevant in people's minds and releasing in new territories and looking for deals, you know, in terms of like new platforms or game pass or subscriptions or any number of things. So like, even with Dawn, you know, even without the, you know, we are planning more content for it, but even without that, we've got the, the, the toy lines. You can see, you know, like Ganera here is like one of the toys. So that's another whole separate element of the IP. There was the, um, we went to G-Fest, we produced a comic book that we gave out at G-Fest, um, other merchandise like shirts and stuff. Um, those are all kind of part of it. And then we've also got coming next year the japanese version of the game so that's a whole other massive market that we're obviously because of the type of game it is we're really excited to get into and then once it's in japanese we're, we're going to update the english one so you can play it in japanese like a japanese monster movie if you want to um we even we had a we had a it's actually still going on we had a collaboration with uh, a ramen chain in ontario <laughs> where you could get a, a super spicy mega shoyu ramen. So a ramen inspired by Megadon from the game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just about keeping people excited and interested and trying to, and building a community around your game and building relevance around your brand. I mean, that's, that can't stop once the game's out. Yeah. It's got to keep going. Yeah. I love that. Uh, there aren't nearly enough food collaborations in the game industry. Right. <laughs> I feel like there have been some good ones when we were kids and then we've gotten too far yeah. away from it. Bring, bring back the food collapse. <laughs> yeah. Bring back the Mario cereal. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me uh, send off my box tops and get a Nintendo wristwatch or whatever. <laughs> like they, there were some good ones, but yeah. that's, that's pretty cool. Um, I, I do like all the different 
collaboration things you guys are trying because that does bring back a little bit of that magic that maybe we've lost over time. Like, you know, video games for like my my kid, it's just like, oh, I can download download this thing on the phone. It's mm-hmm. rare to pay for a game here and I can do whatever I want and then I'll never think about it again. But this brings back a little of that old school fun, I think. Yeah. And and I mean, I think you, you kind of hit it there. There's so many games nowadays and, and a lot of the games that I grew up with were these like worlds, right? There were these, they were so memorable. I still have those memories because they were so iconic and I spent so much time in them. And a lot of times they had stuff outside of the game. So we're always trying to make sure that we we build new worlds that players are going to get excited about and want, want to be involved in beyond just downloading the game, playing it and then turning it off. Based on your tweets, your content online that I've seen this game, and you'll have to tell me if I'm wrong, but this seems like the most uniquely you thing possible. Is that accurate? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I think it's the most, the most I've directed a game. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, (laughs) Uh, and, and I don't know what the future holds for you guys, but I mean, mentally, where do you go from here? Cause I mean, how could it get better than this? Right. You know, I'm just going to throw in the towel. Actually. I'm just going to quit. <laughs> I'm going to go become top. a farmer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, that was really exciting for me and, and I'm, I'm so happy with, with how it turned out. Um, not just in the stuff that like, you know, I specifically wanted to see happen, but also in the stuff that the team took into directions I didn't expect. Um, you know, especially the, the narrative, like I had a high level idea for the narrative, but then Unai, our writer took it in, in directions I, I didn't expect that, that were just so cool to see. Um, as far as where to go, I mean, being in that world for so long, I don't mind doing a game where I'm not in that world for a bit. Um, I definitely have other, you know, extreme passion projects that I, I'd love to get off the ground. I do. I I really love shmups, like you know our type and Darius and all that kind of stuff. So I'd love to make one of those types of games someday. I don't know if I ever will. Fingers crossed, someone will let me do that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I think that one of the reasons we wanted to do this game is because we identify that there are fans of this type of content, giant monster stuff, Ultraman, Godzilla, King Kong, yeah. and that they were just made for a great video game idea that no one was taking advantage of. So we thought there was a gap there. And, you know, as long as there continues to be interest in this kind of stuff, uh, I'd love to keep making it. Yeah. I think, I think the giant monster stuff is sort of, it's almost like hidden in plain sight when it comes to Mm -hmm. Western audiences, because you mentioned Japanese culture and it's, it's certainly mainstream there. But when you think about it, you think about your, rampages your primal rage your uh we've got so many examples of those things where we all flock to it and went this is the most fun i've ever had and then we kind of stop mm-hmm. thinking about it it's like i don't entirely know what that is but it seems like every time we go back it's like yeah cool bring bring on more like what what is up with us you know yeah i totally agree and then we got so many comments like that where people were like where they'd see the game and they would talk but oh i used to love rampage or i used to love war of the monsters or I used to love King of the Monsters. All all these games would flood back into their memories and they'd be like, okay, I can't wait to play this. There hasn't been a game like this in a long time. Yeah. And I'll be the first one to say, like, I was a, a big Rampage fan. Mm-hmm. Um, when I found myself in a Walmart with, when they <laughs> put that first Midway Classics, like, Arcade 1-Up cab on clearance, 
and I ran into it in the wild. Let me just say, we have to navigate around that thing in the basement now uh, because I, I bought it. I was so excited. Like, I love that. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's and, and you, when you sort of branch out further into your, your Power Rangers and your Voltrons and Transformers and stuff, like, we love giant fighting stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me the kind of stuff you do on, like, the blog, the things you're, you're tweeting about. Like, what, what's some of that stuff you do? Yeah, so... The blog, controlallmonsters.com, is it's honestly just my place to talk about super nerdy stuff that, uh, you know, only myself, or I assume only myself and my friends care about. Um, but the blog's gotten a, a it gets decent viewership, so surprisingly decent readership on it. Uh, so it's, it's where I like to talk about, obviously, I'm a big fan of kaiju, I'm a big fan of video games. So I talk about usually where those two things intersect um, because it's often in surprising ways that we don't realize like the connections between Donkey Kong and, and King Kong uh, and how important those were to the like foundation of Nintendo. There was a lawsuit that was so important that if it had gone the other way, we wouldn't have Mario. All right, so yeah. I really like talking about the history of the video game industry. And so I kind of use this blog to talk about that, to highlight games that people may not have heard of, to talk about their development history, why they're important, all that kind of stuff. That's, um, you know, it's it's the kind of content that I enjoy reading and and I like making. Yeah. And I think needless to say, anybody who uh, has found their way to this interview is probably also just just perfect for that also. <laughs> so I encourage people to check that out. Um, you guys are a, a unity team, right? Yeah. Is unity making you nervous right now? <laughs> like if you think about the new stuff and everything, like this is sort of like, uh, what's going on? I mean, it, they're, they're weird. They're doing weird stuff. I don't, I don't, it's it. Unity now is not the, the unity that we knew when we started using it. And when we started our company, which is, which is frankly, it's, it's disappointing for us. Um, I get that they got to try to make money and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but as a company, they're, they're doing really weird things that I don't agree with or understand. Um, as a tool, it's still good. So mm -hmm. as, as a tool, uh, unity is great for the type of games we like to make. Like at one point we considered uh, hopping over to unreal and, uh, and we were talking a lot with Epic and, and I remember we were just like, Hey, like, has anyone ever made a, a 2d game with Unreal Engine? And they were like, <laughs> we don't know. And then we looked into it and the answer was no. And we were mm -hmm. like, well, we have unity used to be 3d only before they had 2d tools and we had to force it to do 2d and man, did that suck. So we were like, Nope, not again. Um, yeah. So that being said, I mean, you know, for us, Unity is a really good tool. We do like using it, but it is just that it's a tool. We make games. We don't make game engines. So um, we're always looking for any ways, new ways to make games, new engines that are out there. There's always something interesting going on. But yeah, I, I hope that they, I don't know. I, I feel like once a company becomes so big and they've got big money CEOs running it, it's like it's a lost cause. They're not going to go back to their roots. They've got they've got the former EA president at the helm, and like EA used to be a cool company, you know. Like yeah. <laughs> EA used yeah. to be tight, 
and not anymore. So, um, yeah, hopefully they don't become the worst company in the world. That's my hope. I, I hope for, for the sake of developers like yourself, I hope things at least settle somewhat. Like, like you said, like it may only get so much better, but maybe things won't be in such weird flux. Like, like it's kind of juggling in the air right now. I, I remember, as you said, when, uh, Unity was really strictly 3D and it was still, it was such an effective tool and had all the great support for the different platforms you needed. Like developers like me were trying to figure out, Hey, we, we did this blog post cause we found a way you can kind of get it to do 2D. And I remember when they finally launched those 2D tools, it was in- incredible. There was just, just dancing in the streets practically. Yeah. You know? It was a revelation and it yeah. felt like we were being listened to as it, as it, as it users of the product, right. As developers, yeah. we were saying, Hey, we really want 2d tools. We really want 2d tools. And then unity was like, here you are. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to their credit, um, I, I think developers and teams using major engines of any kind, and there are a number, but, uh, I, I think of unreal when I say that, uh, I think everybody's on a little bit of a wild ride. I'm, I'm sure those folks weren't any more comfortable when, you know, Tim Sweeney spent all his time fighting with Apple and stuff. It's like, can we get back to what we're doing here? You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, billionaires are weirdos, man. <laughs> I, in a positive light, it has really reconnected me with all of the small, uh, frameworks and like, I'm, I'm grateful to be a programmer because, it gives me a few more options. Like you don't necessarily yeah. have to jump from that to build box or depend on what game maker is able to do for you. Like you got a few more options. Yeah, for sure. That's kind of important right now. I think. Definitely. Why does discord keep censoring your dinosaur photos, your drawings? They think so. I, I run <laughs> another company, right? I run another company that makes these toys um, that's like my side hustle. I just do it for fun. Cause I really love colorful soft vinyl toys. So I'm with some friends of mine. We're trying to design the next toy. And I don't know. I don't think he looks like a, a wiener, but Discord <laughs> certainly does. And we're trying to send pictures of him to each other as we try the, the color scheme. And Discord's like, how dare you? How dare you try to send explicit images to your friends? And I'm like, first off, they're my friends. <laughs> We're, we're this that's okay second off these aren't wieners like cut it out so i don't know i don't know what's going on there i like to think a person is getting a notification on the other end of that like oh these guys are at it again hold on <laughs> <laughs> definitely it's actually probably the best part of that person's day when they get that notification and go oh what am i about to see and like oh it's a dinosaur <laughs> yeah it's a dinosaur but i'm still not gonna let them send it <laughs> i'm still gonna cancel it but thank god it wasn't another actual that's cool though like how that's got to be a kind of intimidating thing like let's get into trying to design and you know create real toys was that what was that process like you know it's it was connected to dawn of the monsters so a a good friend of mine chris olio he lives down in uh, staten island and we met at a godzilla convention nice we go to a godzilla convention every year in chicago called g fest and uh, one year he needed some money cause he was putting on a concert. And so he, he bought a table in the dealer's room 
and he brought some of his stuff that he didn't want anymore and he bought up a couple of collections and he's just like flipping them at the convention right so um he ended up making pretty decent money and i was like oh i've got stuff i don't need anymore i should table with you and then one year we we kept we kept joking a oh, one year we're gonna make a toy together one year we're gonna make our, our own kaiju toy and one year we we made enough money that we were like this this could be a reality and uh once Dawn of the Monsters got greenlit, I called him up and I said, hey, I want to show you something. Look at these monsters we've got. We could license them to, like we could create a company and have 13M license them to us. We could make toys with them for marketing purposes and kind of reduce our risk a bit. Uh, so we gave it a shot and it was great. I mean, our first Megadon toy sold out pretty darn quick considering it was for a game that didn't release until like three years later. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, it was a lot of learning, a lot of coordinating with overseas companies and all that kind of stuff, but very, very fun, very creatively satisfying. I'm sure the pandemic doesn't make that any easier. No, it's made it way harder. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. just sounded like the kind of thing that would throw a throw a wrench in the works there. And yeah. I, I say that because I've got a friend. I've got a friend I worked with. I actually worked at Toys R Us as a teenager, which was my own little bucket list item. But um, yeah. So I met a friend there who I was interested in video games. He was interested in comic books. That was his thing. And we went like, wouldn't it be great if we could go in together on projects later one day? And we've gotten closer than you would expect because two teenagers going like, here's what we're going to do one day. Like I ended up getting into uh, game development in my own way. And he's got an indie comic label now. And we still meet all the time and talk about like, when are we going to do this? We are for sure going to make this happen at some point. And it's still like, even at this point, it's like intimidating, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a scary thing, but um, yeah, I mean, intensely and in, incredibly rewarding. That's really cool that you kind of both followed your, your dreams from, from when you were even um, teenagers. That's awesome. It It is. And it's like, it's why I spend a lot of effort on, content where the message overall is like if if this is what you're that passionate about there's not much to stop you you can do it badly for a while and learn how to do it better but i mean you can do almost anything you know you can't you can't spread wings and fly that's about it you know yeah yeah no for sure the the, the democratization of the tools to do a lot of this stuff is i mean 15 years ago i couldn't have 20 years ago i i don't know anyone who could have said oh i'm gonna start a game company or I'm going to start making toys with like no money, right? Like it was <laughs> impossible, but now feasible. Yeah. It's, it's only a question of time and determination. So yeah. tell me how you ended up with all of the Godzilla VHS copies. So <laughs> I love Godzilla movies. I've always loved them. And there was a Godzilla movie released in 1998 with Matthew Broderick that right is pretty notorious within the Godzilla fandom. I don't like that movie. <laughs> I knew this had to be ironic on some level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't like that movie. I don't know many people who do. If you do, that's cool. I'm not yucking anybody's yums, but I don't like it. And um, uh, my coworkers used to like to tease me because I don't like it because, you know, they, they would, they'd be talking about Godzilla and they'd be like, Oh, you mean that, that movie with Matthew Broderick? And I was like, no, oh, no, 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 no. no the real Godzilla. And they'd be like, mm, pretty sure that's just a Matthew Broderick movie. And it got to the point, I don't know who started this, but I'd have people over or people would be at my desk and, and I would leave and come back and I would just find 
Godzilla 1998 VHS tapes on my desk or in my house, like that weren't mine. Like people, they got to the point where I had like four of these tapes and I don't know who was leaving them or where they were getting from, they're getting them from. So I decided to just lean into the bit. And every time I saw a Godzilla 98 tape, I bought it. So, you know, I'd go to a flea market or a value village. I'd see one, it's like a buck. I'd buy it. And now I have <laughs> over 40 of them. So uh, I was going to say, I saw the tweet and there was a certain number then. And I was wondering, like, that's been a while now. Are you still collecting them? Oh, it's it's great. I, I got to take a I got to do a collection update. That's for sure. That's, it's grown quite a bit. That's amazing. If I run into mine, I'll be more than happy to ship it out. Because <laughs> <laughs> I for sure I did have that video at the time and it got me thinking like, because I, I was pretty sure this was a goof and you weren't like a super fan of that one uh, installment in the series. But I felt like somewhere there is some person who thinks like maybe Matthew Broderick was even involved in like inventing Godzilla. <laughs> like, is this one of those? Like, was this his idea? This is fantastic. You should run with this. <laughs> they think the new ones are remakes of that old one from NDA. Yeah. <laughs> Can't believe he's really done well for himself. <laughs> That is outstanding. I, I also like hearing that uh, shoot 'em ups are on your mind because I'm I'm a fan of that stuff too. So let me throw a vote in that direction because I I think you guys would uh, would do a fantastic one. That'd be awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I it's one of those things where like I don't know how big the market for shoot 'em ups is, but like I don't care. I just want to make one. <laughs> they're they're fantastic. They've been. I think it was my 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 pandemic. Um, obsession has been playing shoot 'em ups for like, I try to clear them in, in one credit or I try to get a high score, really just like sink my teeth. And when I was a kid, I used to just play them to beat them. I'd feed, feed the quarters in the arcade machine. And now it's like, they can suck up a lot of your time if you become really obsessed with them. So yeah. there's some cool communities around shmups online that I've, I've kind of um, hooked into. Yeah. And if, I mean, if you get into emulation, it becomes a big topic because so many yeah. of those classic arcade machines and stuff, and those games will hurt your feelings. They, <laughs> they get, they get wild and it's, it's some of the most fun gaming you can do. I th I'm, I'm not a super skilled player or anything, but I just, I love playing those games. It's awesome. Yeah. They've got a certain, you can play them for five minutes. You can play them for an hour and they're fun. That's what I really appreciate about it. Yeah. Uh, do you see yourselves leaning towards like maybe some kind of a film cartoon tie-in for Dawn of the Monsters, anything like that on the horizon, perhaps? I mean, I would, I would love to, um, but you know, it's, if, if someone at Netflix or wherever is interested, give me a call, Yeah, tweet at me, DM me. Um, we, we really like the IP. Our fans really enjoyed the story. Uh, we'd love to move it into any kind of transmedia stuff. Uh, I, I'd really love to do a comic book even. I think it would make a great comic. We did the mini comic, but I'd like to do like a full-on graphic novel. I can see that. I can see that working real well. And like you said, Netflix seems to, I mean, they, they do seem very interested in games and, you know, we're starting to see some game adaptations and they're, um, I don't know how it's exactly working, but they're distributing games. I, as a Netflix subscriber, I should probably find out what that is and how it works, but they do right. seem interested in it. I still don't know what it is though. <laughs> it's so hard to find. I'm in the, I have Netflix as well. And like, I think you have to load up Netflix on your phone and then scroll down to games. And then 
you they have games and you can just download them like it's 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 weird it's it's kind of hidden i don't know why <laughs> it, it almost, yeah it feels like a like a in, unintentional soft launch or something yeah 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 well we have really powered through a lot in a, in a short amount of time but uh I want to make sure uh, people know where to find your stuff online, uh, what to look for in the marketplace, anything you want to plug. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, you know, on Twitter at 13amgames, 13amgames.com, you know, if you Google 13am games, you'll find any of our stuff with regards to that. Uh, We have a Discord as well um, that, you know, we use pretty, pretty often. There's a good community there of rumble players and Donald monsters players and all that kind of stuff. Um, as far as my own personal stuff, obviously seismic toys is my toy company, SeismicToys.com, our Instagram, all that stuff. That's where we, we sell and produce our toys and my blog control which I will update. I ha- I do have an article that I've written. I just have to hit publish. Um, and, and, you know, my Twitter, at Goji underscore guy, if you want to hear the insane ramblings of a uh, guy who owns 40 copies of Godzilla 98 at VHS, that's the place to hear him. Uh, Alex, you've been a super good sport, and uh, I will be looking for Godzilla 98 on VHS here in the theater room, and uh, the rest of us will be looking for uh, whatever's coming next, and uh, check out Dawn of the Monsters, uh, available just about everywhere, and uh, yeah, come back and check in soon. This was fun. Yeah, this is great. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. If you enjoy Game Dev Breakdown, please follow or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find more episodes at anchor.fm slash gamedevbreakdown. You can find news and other fun stuff that we do at codewriteplay.com. If you want to reach out on Twitter, you can hit up at GameDevPod, at CodeWriteFlay, or me, MechaToddZilla, with one D and two L's. Feel free to get in touch about the show, guests you might like to hear, anything you can think of. If you're interested in my book, Inside Video Game Creation, that is still available just about everywhere, and there's a lot more fun stuff on the way. So thanks everybody for listening, have a good one, and we will talk to you very soon.